Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. If God came to you, spoke to you, and told you to do something for him. And this wasn't an aberration. This wasn't a hallucination. This was unmistakably and verifiably God coming to you, telling you to do something. Would you do it? Take a second, raise your hand. If God did that, you would listen to God and follow God. Please put your hands up. little bit of peer pressure here. You're at church. Pastor asked you if you'd listen to God. Half of your Christian church friends put their hands up. And so it makes sense. What I'm about to read to you is God's word. It is God breathed and it is useful for correction, for teaching, for training in righteousness so that you might be equipped for every good work. What I'm about to read to you from the Old Testament, these are the scriptures that testified that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. But what I'm about to read to you is without a doubt uncomfortable and might seem unreasonable. So, God asked you, told you, came to you, telling you to do something that was uncomfortable, that was unreasonable, would you still do it? God came to the prophet Hosea and he did. He asked him to do something that is uncomfortable, something that seems unreasonable. And Hosea listened. This is what happens in Hosea chapter one, verse two. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer. God verifiably, unmistakably comes to the prophet Hosea And he says to him, take a wife. Take a wife who's a prostitute and then with the prostitute, have children. Here's why. Here's why, Hosea. It's because my people, God's people, the whole land of Israel has become a whorehouse in the way they are unfaithful to me. And I want them to know. I want them to know the extent of my love. God came to Hosea, spoke to Hosea, told Hosea what to do. He did it. But marriage didn't change Gomer. Gomer still kept up the way of life she had been living even after she was united in marriage to Hosea. She cheated on him. And to make matters worse, she actually had children with other men. Not just once, but not just twice, but three times. A son, a daughter, and then another son. It's uncomfortable. 
It is uncomfortable to listen to. It seems illogical that God told Hosea to do this. He said, Hosea, I want you to go and I want your marriage and I want your ministry to be a metaphor, a metaphor for how God's people have acted towards me. So how do you think Hosea felt? More importantly, how how do you think God felt? Well, that's nothing we have to imagine because God tells us in Hosea chapter two, verse 13, God tells us exactly how he feels. As Hosea is to Gomer, so is God to Israel. And this is what God says about Israel. He says, I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and, ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me declares the Lord. God's heart aches. Like a lover who catches his spouse with another, God's heart breaks and he points it out. He says he hurts. He says, because you did this, I am going to punish you. I'm going to come after you. You can expect that I will repay you for this. We see that throughout the book of Hosea. And yet we also see something else. In the book of Hosea, God teaches us two lessons about the nature of sin. But he also teaches us two parallel lessons about his grace. I want to look at those lessons that God teaches us in Hosea with you this morning. And and here's the first lesson that God teaches us. It's about sin. That sin is unreasonable. Sin is an irrational thing. You think about it in these terms. Israel was God's chosen people. Israel at this point in their history is just coming off of one of the most prosperous, one of the most peaceful times in their history where they had not seen such great wealth amassed in their kingdom since the days of Solomon. And you know what they do? They forgot the one who had given this all to them and they went elsewhere. They started to worship other gods and the result was moral decay and they left and they went away from God and they went and worshiped other gods, other Baals, false idols. So what did God do? Well, time and time again, you you see God come to his people and through his prophet Hosea, remind them of all the things that God had done for them. I brought you up out of Egypt. I am the God who loves you. I'm the God who promised that I would set up a place, a kingdom for you, and I would establish your people for generations to come. I'm the God who promised that I would take care of you. I'm the God who protected you from all your enemies. And yet time and time again, what we see is Israel go away. Of course, then they remember when things get really bad and when things don't go the way they wanted to, they come back to God and they say, please take us back. And what do we see? We see God there with open arms, welcoming them back time and time again. But again and again, Israel leaves. And so God calls out to him through his prophets, many others besides Hosea and says, why? Why are you doing this? Why do you keep going off with crummy dudes? Why do you keep on leaving the way of life? Have I not given everything for you? Here, 
why do you go about this suicidal way of sin? This insane way of living. When you think about it, that's a pretty good definition for what sin is. Sin is insanity. Maybe you heard the saying that insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and yet expecting a different result. That sin. Israel, God's people, we do the same things over and over and over again, hoping that this time it'll work out better. Things, things will go right. Things will go well for us this time. Even though God says, I have a better way. I've shown you a better way. Time and time again, we go after idols. And it, and it doesn't have to be things made of wood or stone or gold. Idols are anything that we give our heart to, anything that our imaginations are more wrapped up in than God himself, anything that we look to to provide for us things that only God can give. Like lustful fools, like Gomer, like Israel, we go after things again and again and again, like a dog returning to a vomit, like a prostitute who keeps on courting crooked men, we sin because sin is unreasonable. Maybe you caught me and I said it. The whole point of this narrative is to show that, that God's people, people who cheat on God, well, they're just like Gomer. I'm the whore. You are the whore. In our relationship with God, and that brings up the second thing about the nature of sin that God's lesson, God's word teaches us about sin. Sin's uncomfortable. Sin is an uncomfortable thing to talk about. It is the one thing that everybody has in abundance, and yet it's the one thing that nobody wants to talk about. Why? Well, we'd like to believe, we want to believe that we're all right. At least we're pretty good. Of course, I'm not perfect. You and I would recognize, we'd admit that to one another, that we do things that are wrong, but like a prostitute? No. Another pastor said that our culture and really us who are a part of this culture, we, we've, become, we've become expert shooters who, who take great aim with skilled precision at other people's sins all the while ignoring our own. Why? Because our hearts need to find peace. Our hearts need to find rest. And so often we do that by ignoring the log that is sticking out of our eye and point out the small speck in someone else's. Sin is uncomfortable. It's the nature of sin. So we don't talk about it. I saw a YouTube clip of a, of a pastor who did. There's no other way to describe this clip except for the fact that it is uncomfortable if you go watch it. YouTube video went viral, I think like seven years ago, but it's a clip of a Southern Baptist preacher preaching a sermon, and then all of a sudden he notices someone in the congregation falls asleep. So he gets down out of the pulpit, walks down to the person, and they woke up. And just as the pastor's about to turn and head back to the pulpit where he preaches, it's like something switched in the pastor. 
He saw somebody else in the congregation and he decided that today was the day he was going to point out their sin. And he belittles and he berates a young man who hadn't been to church for a long time. Then it was a couple who was sitting next to him that he was about to marry. And then he heads back, but on his way back, he stops and he looks at a young family who had young and wild kids, apparently. And that was the thing he wanted to talk about with them. But he wasn't done yet because he wanted to remind the mother about her and her sisters when they grew up. And then he heads back to his pulpit, but not before he points out even to the young teenage cameraman who was apparently filming him that day that he needed an attitude adjustment. You watch it. You might laugh, but not because there's anything comical about it, but because it's very uncomfortable. You don't have to worry. Your pastor is not going to do that to you because there's, there's nothing right about that way of shaming individuals. But there's something right with talking about sin. No, you don't have to worry that, that your pastor is going to single out and talk and uncover your sins in church this morning, but I don't have to because another pastor, another prophet already did. That's what God's word does. God's word, and this morning, the prophet Hosea, he does that. He uncovers our sin and try as we might to mitigate sin, to kind of gloss over sin and, and call it just a moral failure, a mistake, or an oopsie. God doesn't do that. God calls a thing what it is. He calls sin a sin, and he says, it is adultery to me. It is cheating on me. Try as we might, we can't cover over our sin. God and his word doesn't let us cover over our sin. But that's because Christ covers over our sin. We can't cover over our sins even if we wanted to, but that's okay because Christ covers over our sins. And this is a message that is most vividly clear throughout the book of Hosea. Hosea in chapter 11 says this. Chapter 11, verse 7, Hosea says, My people, this is God talking, my people are determined to turn from me, even though they call me God most high, I will by no means exalt them. God is not shy about sin. God calls what sin what it is. And yet, look how he handles sin. In the very next verse, right after God acknowledges that his people are determined to turn from me, this is what he says about his people. God says, how, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Edma? How can I make you like Seboyim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. We said that it was unreasonable. It was unreasonable and illogical that Israel again and again forsook their Lord, that they turned from him. But you want to know what was even more unreasonable than that? It's that God would take his anger, his wrath that was deserved, and simply remove it. And in place, show compassion. We said sin was unreasonable, 
but there's nothing more unreasonable about God's grace. You probably have a working definition for grace, that grace is God's undeserved love or grace is God's unconditional love. Those cliche definitions for grace are great definitions because they help us understand exactly what grace is. But I think we can go deeper. I think we can go deeper and point out just how unreasonable and yet how unbelievably wonderful God's amazing grace is. A pastor and an author named Paul Zoll, he says this, he has this quote about grace. Maybe you've read it or heard it from me before. He says that grace is love that has nothing to do with you the beloved. It has everything and only to do with the lover. Grace is irrational. Grace is irrational in the sense that it has nothing to do with weights or measures. It has nothing to do with my intrinsic qualities or so-called gifts, whatever that may be. It reflects a decision, decision on the part of the giver, the one who loves in relation to the receiver, the one who is loved that negates any qualifications the receiver may personally hold. Grace is unreasonable. It doesn't make demands. It doesn't make laws. Grace only gives. Grace gives again and again and again. And from our vantage point, from a human vantage point, grace always gives to the wrong people. You see that in the New Testament. Jesus again and again shows love and mercy and compassion to people who are prostitutes, tax collectors, and the most disenfranchised people in his culture. And yet what does God do? Again and again, he's there opening his arms, welcoming them back in. See it in the book of Hosea. You see Hosea show love again and again to his wife, Gomer. And if you were Hosea's friend, you might say one time's nice. That's really generous and really an amazing thing that you do. But again and again, stop Hosea, stop being unreasonable. But that is God's love. That is what God does again and again to those who sin. That is God's grace. He is there welcoming with open arms again and again, those who are repeat sinners. And that is God's grace that he shows to you. Those of you who are repeat sinners, know what God's grace means for you. Know that God's grace given to you and the knowledge that God's grace is for you and it is yours and it saves you. This cavalier, this chaotic love that seems too good to be true, it means that you and God will never be separated. That because Jesus came for you, Jesus has released you from all of the pressure of guilt. He has removed that completely. God has forgiven you. God has forgiven you for all the times where you have failed and sinned against him. He has forgiven you for all the same sins that you do again and again. God forgives you for all the times where you try to get rid of your sin and act as though it is not there. God forgives you for this. And what he does is he takes the fear, the fear that we have, and oh no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess up again and, and God's not gonna love me then. And he replaces it. He replaces it with confidence. He replaces it with trust. He replaces it with this thing called faith that helps you and I, makes you and I live in such a way where we never worry about our relationship with God, where we know that in God, what we have is an unobligated giver 
who is given to undeserving people unending and unconditional acceptance. That's God's grace for you. It's unreasonable. It makes no sense to humans, but God is not a man. He is the Holy One and he sent his Holy Son for you. God's grace is unreasonable and it's also even a little uncomfortable. In Hosea, we read this. This is, this is Hosea chapter two. We read it before. God talking to and about Israel said, I will punish her for the feasts of the Baals when she burned offerings to them and adored herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. I will punish her. But that's not all it says. God continues on and he says this in the very, very next verse. Right after saying his threat of punishment, God says, therefore, behold, I will allure her and I will bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. God reveals himself to Hosea, commands Hosea to have a ministry and a message that is a metaphor for God's unfaithfulness, excuse me, God's people's unfaithfulness to God. He did it, why? so that they would know the extent of God's love. They would know just how far God would go to get him. It seems absolutely unreasonable. Listening to the story of Hosea is uncomfortable even for those who listen to it. What is even more uncomfortable still is that God, God the Father, God Almighty, who needs no one, God who is a warrior and the leader of angel armies, it's how he shows himself. It's how he shows himself in relation to you and me. He's desperate. He's desperate to have you. What does the Lord do when you and me and Gomer and Israel, like a lustful fool, step out on our husband God and pursue other idols? The Lord allures her and speaks tenderly to our heart. The Hebrew word for allure is patah. And every time patah is used to describe, especially a relation between a man and a woman, it has the connotations of enticing and seducing someone. You might say, oh, that's uncomfortable. I don't want to think of the Lord in that way. But the Lord wrote it. The Lord said it. He said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to allure her. And like a husband desperate to get back his wife and win her heart and woo, yes, even the wayward ones, that is how God presents himself to you. That is the extent to which he wants to show you his love for you. That's God's grace. God's grace is uncomfortable, but I need to step back and maybe explain that just a little bit more. Because the fact that God's grace is uncomfortable does not mean that God is uncomfortable showing it to you. It simply means that someone had to suffer. Someone had to endure something. Someone had to pay something so that you could know God's grace. That's what we see here in Hosea. This is our sermon lesson for this morning. It's Hosea chapter three, the shortest, shortest chapter in the entire book, but one that is filled with such good news. This is what God says in Hosea chapter three to uh, the Lord speaking to Hosea said, 
Go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Gomer cheated on Hosea, and in that culture and in that place, Hosea had every right by the rule of the law to drag Hosea's wife, Gomer, out of the city, have her stoned, and have her punished. But what does God ask, command Hosea to do? Buy her back. Verse 2. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and an omer and a laketh of barley. This is the height of unreasonableness. God already has his bride. The truth is that, that Hosea already had Gomer. And yet, what do they do? What do these husbands do? They act like a paying customer to get their bride back, to win her back. Not only does this highlight the height of unreasonableness, well, it shows the depth of discomfort that your God went in order to get you back. He didn't just pay a few bucks, $15, to have a few people back. No, he spent the life of his child, a savior born for you, came so that you would be his. And his life was the price. Jesus came and he came in order to liberate you and I from the lust and the lure of trying to be our own gods or find our own gods. Jesus came and he fixed your heart. He fixed your heart from, from, the, from the fixation of trying to fix itself or even trying to find ourselves. And Christ came and found you. Christ came and, and what he did is he freed captive souls. He freed us from all the ugliness all of the ugliness of sin in all of its uncomfortable ways, in all of its unreasonable ways. And he did it by showing you grace, even when it was uncomfortable for him. This is what I mean when I say grace is uncomfortable, that Jesus came and he suffered the cross. Jesus came and he endured a crown of thorns. Jesus came and the payment was his life, all so that you might be saved by faith, through grace in him. This sermon series is called A Place For You. And from the get-go, I made it very, very clear that this series is not about a physical space, a place you can point to on a map or even a concrete building. It's about God's church. It's about God's people gathered together around God's word and sacrament. That's what it's about. What if this church... What if God's church was a place for grace? A place for grace in all of its uncomfortable and unreasonable glory. When you know the message of grace and that message grips hold of your heart, it is the most freeing, the most expectation-wrecking, joy-giving message there is because it frees you from a life of having to pretend that you have it all together. It frees you from a life of having to ignore sin and try to, try to brush sin under the rug. It frees you because you know that your sins have been taken care of in Christ. So what if this was a place for grace? A place for grace even when it was uncomfortable. 
As Christian people who are God-fearing and God-loving people, we know we're all about grace. But what about when it's uncomfortable? Oftentimes we think about what it means to follow God, to be like Christ. We say, ooh, ooh, (laughs) sharing that, that puts me outside my comfort zone. No, no. Ooh, giving that, giving that much, I like to live comfortably. Ooh, (laughs) ooh, (laughs) inviting that person, that would be an uncomfortable conversation. But you see, God, God is not asking you to do something that he already hasn't done for you or made possible for you. When it's uncomfortable, when it's uncomfortable to have a conversation or, or be with someone and show grace to someone, God is not asking you to do something that he hasn't done or has not empowered you to do. To sit, to listen, to understand someone so that you might give someone the life-giving grace that you have in your hands. God's grace, it is uncomfortable. What if we were a place for grace, even when it was uncomfortable or even when it was unreasonable? You know that grace is a thing that is not found anywhere else in this world. Relationships, transactions are all contractual things. There is this quid pro quo, you do for me, I'll do for you type mentality. But what if, what if this was a place for grace even when it did not make any sense, even when it was unreasonable and was contrary to everything that seems to make common sense? I asked you at the beginning, if God asked you to do something that was unreasonable and uncomfortable, would you do it? God is not asking you to marry a prostitute. He is not asking you to do the unreasonable thing and endure relationship dysfunction that he has already endured. What he is telling you is that I have endured that for you. I have given you my love, even even in the face of what did not make sense so that you not only have that life-saving, that life-giving grace, but you can give it and you can live it. So let's stop messing around. (laughs) Let's stop messing around with all these different ideas and ways of reaching people. And what if we just cared for people who don't care for us or don't care about the things that we care about? What if we gave to people who, who didn't give us a thing or who did not appreciate the things that we do give? What if we loved people maybe even hate the things that we love, people who do not know about the love of Christ? What if we spoke to people who would rather ignore us? What if we shared with people good news who would rather we shut our mouths? What if we were a place for grace? May God grant it for Jesus' sake. Amen.